Welcome to the West podcast, where women entrepreneurs share their tales. SDCO West empowers women and propels economic growth across South Dakota. We do that through free, confidential, one-on-one business advising, in-person and virtual trainings, and results-driven networking opportunities. We provide a platform for small business owners, aspiring entrepreneurs, and forward-thinking entrepreneurs to gain resources to build their businesses and tell their stories. Now join us on a journey west to discover your business dreams. Hello everyone, I'm Bailey Sadowski and today I'm here with Kelsey Darling of Quick Signs and Spearfish. And we're going along with our theme of I have an idea and what um, entrepreneurs and business owners went through when they came up figuring out what business they want to start and in what industry. And so Kelsey is the owner of Quick Signs, a sign and banner. And I know you guys do a lot more than that here in Spearfish. So Kelsey, how many years have you been in business and what is Quick Signs? It'll be 14 years in April. Um, and basically our business is just to help other businesses become successful with their marketing. That's awesome. So what kind of, so 13, 14 years ago, you're starting quick signs. What, like what prompted this? Like what sparked you to start a sign shop that grew into what it is today? Sure. So I got my business management and entrepreneurial studies, um, bachelors, and then, I earned my business services management degree from BH. And in the marketplace, I was basically overeducated but underqualified because I didn't have any work experience. Um, And so being turned down from numerous jobs, Mm -hmm. I then um, needed to do something. And so my husband suggested opening a sign shop because there was one uh, Black Hill Signs and Banners um, that had closed right when I was graduating. And so... He had worked at a sign shop and had sign experience and told me he was going to help me okay. with my sign business. <laughs> so uh, you just graduated with your master's degree from BH. Go BH, go Yellow Jackets. Um, but when you were in school, what was the goal? Because one of your degrees was in op- entrepreneurship. Was your goal to start a business or what made you choose that versus just getting another job in an established company? Sure. So originally I went to school and I thought I was going to be an attorney. Um, when I was in high school, actually all growing up, I wanted to be an attorney. So I got a job at a law firm here in Spearfish when I was in high school and worked in that um, field actually until I graduated. But then it was kind of this moment of you're dealing with people. We did a lot of family law. So you're dealing with people who are unhappy when they come to you. They're also unhappy when they leave. Um, And I don't like to be, it's emotionally draining for me to be Mm -hmm. around people who are just unhappy and so I just knew that wasn't the the career path for me okay so did you decide this after you had like finished everything out and you were like now what kind of okay yeah I mean I took the GMAT a couple of times um not the GMAT I only took that once the LSAT I took that a couple of times and even the way your brain needs to work to take that test and I was like okay this is just not this isn't where I'm heading so right so graduated, you're like, okay, the sign business went out of business. Um, what's your first steps? How do you? How did that that idea really spark beyond like this is something that I could do? So I had purchased my first home um, when I was 21, and the bank that I had used was fantastic to work with. So I went to that bank 
talked to the banker and like pitched my idea and he was like all right great and he like just totally supported my idea and the numbers I gave him and that's really how the ball got got rolling okay so that's a great you know a great thing to talk about because I think a lot of people have questions about funding and financing their ideas so how did you even get to that point so you have this idea the business the sign business went out of business how did you vet like the market because they went out of business for a reason right and then what how did you kind of come up with your numbers and get bank ready sure um well I found a a space um my husband and I scoured around town trying to find a space so we found the space kind of knew what our rent was going to be and then I priced out equipment there was a company um that I still work with today that I got my equipment from so I like priced out all my equipment um, what I did not do is adequately like project what my working capital would need to be. It's like you open your business and you just assume the money is going to start flowing and it mm-hmm. totally doesn't work that way. Um, so I definitely could have done that differently. Um, but yeah, that was kind of the steps. And this is, I shouldn't even publicly say this. I didn't even have a business plan. Like okay. my banker believed in me that much. I didn't even have a plan. I just kind of had the numbers of what I thought it would take to like mm-hmm. get it going. And that's how we how we got started. So did he come back at you and be like, start a business plan? Or what was that process like? He didn't. Um, but it's super funny because I found out like just five years ago that he worked for a sign company when he was in high school. And so I think he like saw the potential of the business just from his experience. Um, but no, he didn't. He didn't require that. I mean, my like my parents had to co-sign for me. Okay. You know, because um, I was yeah, 21 years old. So. Right. So I mean, that's very unusual for a banker to be like, you don't have a business plan. I'm gonna give you money, especially in today's climate. Oh, for sure. So like, this is like an experience that most people wouldn't <laughs> have today. <laughs> Save the date. This year on May 23rd, join us for The Pivot, Great and Small, celebrating women in business luncheon and awards. If you're interested in becoming an exhibitor, sponsor, or an attendee, make sure you mark off the 23rd on your calendar and watch the SDCO West email list and Facebook page for updates on this event. Do you ever find yourself sitting at your keyboard at 2 p.m. wondering how you can level up in your career? What your next step should be? It's time to embrace career confidence. Join SDCEO West for our 10th year of Women in Leadership. The four-day leadership program is centered on discovering and owning your best talents through Clifton Strengths, then utilizing those strengths to better curate our leadership strategy and address conflict and build resiliency in the workplace and at home. Register for Women in Leadership by May 5th or until seats are filled. Save the dates, May 17th and 18th and June 21st and 22nd. To register, visit the link in our show notes. Women in Leadership 2023 is open to all women and past Women in Leadership alumni. Back to like the idea part of this business, were you the only sign shop or printing shop in the area then at that point or were there other established businesses in the same kind of like industry yeah so there was another sign shop um she had just done cut vinyl lettering at the time um but at the same time I was opening a storefront she opened a storefront as well 
Okay. So when you started out, what was what were what was the product line you had? What was the idea of the actual service that you're providing when you first started? Um somewhat similar to what we offer today. So like your signs, your banners, um, that type of stuff. We then realized the need to kind of be a one-stop shop. So people, if they want postcards or brochures or business cards. So like a few months in, we started even getting into the paper line of things. Um, even that wasn't originally what we envisioned. Mm-hmm. So you had mentioned earlier that your husband had worked in a sign shop before. Did he own a sign mm-hmm. shop before? And he said he would help you. Um, did he help you like understand the industry? Or like, did you have to do your own research to kind of understand like the mechanics of the product and then also executing it and all of that. Yeah. So his help um, wasn't really what I expected um, because he has a boat dealership. And so I, I started in April and he, it was like his busy time. So his idea of it, it just, he, he did not assist in the way that I thought. I mean, I remember my first banner order and not even knowing how to make a banner and I had to have my sales rep walk me through how to make a banner. So um, definitely come a long way since then. But um, yeah, I just studied the materials, what the different material types were um, and all of that stuff and just basically educated myself. So when you're talking to your sales rep, pr- printing your first banner, like what is going through your head at this point? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was kind of panicky because I couldn't get a hold of my husband. But she was fantastic, and I don't even know how many hours I spent on the phone with her, probably asking her the dumbest questions she's ever heard. But she owned a sign shop before. She was a sales rep, and so she knew she knew it all. Okay. So. That's awesome. So you really started this business more out of necessity than a want to start a business, sure. per se. Yep, for sure. Okay, so as, like, because... One of the reasons that I'm really fascinated in your story is, you know, you had the idea to be the entrepreneur, but you didn't necessarily have a, you had never run a business before, and you've also don't have experience in the sign shop. Mm -hmm. So what is that like learning how to run a business and learning the actual business in itself? Um, I mean, there's definitely challenges, but it's funny because a lot of I feel like you grow the most and learn the most through your mistakes. And so I'm I'm glad I had that experience to walk me through it. I mean, even to this day, I'm still learning of ways to become more efficient or do things differently. Um, so it's really just, you know, baptism by fire and just trying to do it and learning from mistakes. So how do you... Cause- Running a business, obviously money's tight, especially when you're getting started. How do you, even now, being more established, mitigate those failures, but also planning for that maybe, you know, loss in revenue or the cost of trying to learn something new? Um, You almost really have to build it into your budget. Um, In our line of work, there's always waste, you know, Mm -hmm. because we print on a 54-inch roll, and if you make a 4 by 8 sign, you have 6 inches, you know, times the eight feet that's always wasted and so you just have to plan accordingly and just know that there's going to be waste that's like standard but then sometimes you have other accidents or different things that then end up costing hundreds more dollars that you didn't plan for so it's just a matter of making sure you have enough you know like they say like plan for three or six months of you know of loss and you really have to especially our business is very seasonal Mm -hmm. um and so 
a lot of times, three, four, five months out of the year, looking at the financials, I'm in the red, even to this day. And that's just because when you have staff and you have overhead and you just have these fixed costs, um, you just need to plan accordingly. Right. So I know that you offer a lot of services, and I think there's one that we haven't touched on before is like wrapping vehicles mm-hmm. and signs. And I, I've heard your story about going to wrap school before, but how did you see a gap in the marketplace for wraps and what made you decide to go and add this to your product line? Well, when I first started, wrapping vehicles was very new. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't as mainstream as it is today. Um, but it was just so cool. You know, every year I would go to Vegas to go to the trade shows and see what like the newest products were and like what the newest things they were doing. Um, even a couple of years ago, color change, vehicle color changes became a thing. So then mm-hmm. it's like getting trained on that. Um, paint protection film, that's another big thing. So like next month I'm sending one of my staff down to Colorado to get trained on that. So it's just staying up to date with like the, the newest trends. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause different vinyls work differently and you, use a different application method also for different types of vinyl. So just continually learning and educating and training. Absolutely. So do you think your your methodology from when you first started and you're, you're learning this industry as well, learning how to run a business is the same now as a business owner when you're established 10 plus years? Or is there have you refined how you decide what you want to go after? Um. You know, some of that also comes with hiring staff. So like back when I first started, it was great hiring somebody who had no experience. But after you've been established for so long and you have, you know, where you're already busy, um, you hire people with more experience and can afford them versus when you first start and you grow together. And so um, hiring staff that has experience and that then their knowledge base can be different than my knowledge base um, is, is helpful. So I can do more of that now, but I still learn as I go. I mean, bidding projects, they're still just, there's so much to learn and so many different facets of the business that, yeah. So how do you diversify your team now that you're established with the new things that you want to do versus your current business? Sure. So um, different ones have different interests and are willing to, I mean, the thing with staffing is you have some employees who are fine with where they're at, and then you have some who want to grow. And so the ones who want to grow, it's great to challenge them, to continually educate them. Um, And so it's just, it's just a matter of knowing your audience and knowing your staff and what they're willing to do and what they want to do. Mm -hmm. Like some people just don't have really professional goals for themselves or that's not where they're out at in their life or you know so you just kind of work with work with the team that you have so how do you get to know your staff and understand their their goals and aspirations I mean just working with them a lot you know I mean I'm in and out of the office a lot but still you spend a lot of time with the people that you work with and so just conversing with them about what's going on in their life and their plans for the weekend or I mean just even small talk you can glean a lot from how people are and you can just when you have a wild idea or a project or a customer has a challenging product a project you can tell by the ones who are like no I can't do that versus the ones who are like I'm gonna try that and see if I can make this work Mm -hmm. so how do you 
set them up for success when they want to challenge themselves? I let them fail. Okay. Because um, a lot of times people are so afraid of failure, right? Like, what's my boss going to do if I fail? Um, And just knowing that mistakes are okay and they can be fixed and we can figure it out. Um, But then also just supporting them and answering questions that they have or um, getting them the training that they need. You know, just those types of things to help support them. Absolutely. So how do you personally approach failure as the business owner? And then how do you approach the failure of your employees when they do kind of, you know, struggle with a project? Um, I mean, all of it. It's like, okay, how can we do this differently? Um, is usually like the first question that's asked, you know, like, what can we do to improve this next time? Um, and then, yeah, just growing from that. Okay. So what's one of, and you don't have to say specifically, have you had like a recent failure that you've really learned from personally in terms of your business? Or is, do you feel like you've kind of figured out how to like weed those out as you've, you've grown? Um, I mean, yes and no. Like project failures, a lot of it are um, that I find is like underbidding stuff, like not realizing all of the time that it takes to install certain things or even just products. Like, you know, just because they sell a product as a certain thing, you should still test it out to make sure it's going to work the way it's supposed to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and there still can be kind of some of those things where you're like, oh, this was supposed to work differently than how this is working, you know. Right. So continually testing, you know, those individual things that you add into your business and because not everything's a great idea, right? Yeah. You have to test everything out. Yep. Um, Was there at any point when you first started, you're like, why did I start a sign business? Oh, even to this day. (laughs) I mean, some days um, because it's also, you know, you have your customers who kind of push you, you know, and at the same point, it's also setting a healthy boundary with the customers on like, yeah, you want it this day, but it's not going to happen. Like, you should have planned better. Not my problem. Um, Because setting, not having boundaries set with the customers, then it just ends up leading to so much stress on the staff when they're already super busy. You know, when you're three or four weeks booked out on installs, like, I can't, I can't accommodate everybody. Right. We There's definitely like a certain what is it, supply chain? Like Mm -hmm. there's only so much supply of time and the demand is greater for sure. So when you were the sign shop, you're thinking of that, did you consider any other business ideas or you're just like, we're going to roll with this? Pretty much we're going to roll with this. Okay. Have you considered any other businesses since you've been a business owner or started any other businesses since then? Um, I mean, my husband and I have some rental properties and so we usually build or remodel with those and that keeps us fairly busy as well. Um, we have a pontoon rental business too, but we have somebody else manage that. So some of it now is more like if we have ideas, like having somebody else run the ideas for us just because our time is night you know and so um just empowering other people to be able to to help with that right so as you've you know grown and you want to add more businesses to your your portfolio how do you choose which ones that you want to go after now preferably be ones with no staff okay I mean, that makes sense. <laughs> I mean, and honestly, the staffing market now is dramatically different than it was three four months ago I mean people are wanting to work now um, whereas three or four months ago, people didn't want to work. Mm-hmm. So 
It's just a different, we live in a very interesting time right now. Right. What would you say is the biggest difference from when you started your business 14 years ago to now in terms of demand and just workforce and issues you see today? Sure. So, I mean, we're busier than ever, um, but finding qualified people who like know how to work and want to work um, is a different thing. I mean, people, I feel like have a skewed perception of the value of a dollar um, or even what it the cost it takes to like run a business. I think sometimes they're like, oh, well, you can charge this much for this product. And you're like pocketing all this money. And it's like, but you don't know the cost of the product or the cost of overhead. I mean, some of these things like people, like employees especially, just don't understand and don't grasp. Or if they're the ones who screw up whatever project, Mm -hmm. it's not coming out of their pocket. So it's like they, they have a lost perception of, the true costs of running a business right and there's a lot of other things involved too like taxes and Mm -hmm. there's so many different types of taxes especially when you add in employees and Mm -hmm. it people just don't realize that right so what would kind of leading on to that what would you tell someone wanting to start their own business and let's say they're kind of like you where they didn't really understand the industry what would their first steps be versus what kind of advice you would give them in that scenario sure I mean really I would encourage a business plan right (laughs) we do too for the record (laughs) Uh, I mean but having an idea of what you're getting yourself set up for but the other thing is you need to be confident enough in your ability and know that failure is okay Mm -hmm. you know and I think a lot of people don't want to take the step because they're afraid of failing and it's like this business idea might have not worked but you found something else in the process that could be extremely successful and so like Don't lose the nuggets that you glean from everything and not everything is a success. I mean, my husband had a pontoon business where like it was entry level pontoons um, and you can, it was like basically you created your own, your own company and it it didn't work. I mean, staffing was one thing, but it's like, so it basically failed because people would rather spend more money on a pontoon than have entry level pontoons, but that's the market we're in and it's okay. Mm -hmm. Like you figure out your niche and you go with it. Right. And how would you, you know, adding to that conversation, if they don't know the industry they're going into and they don't really know how to run a business, what, how, what advice would you give them in learning how to balance learning two completely different skill sets? Well, that's tricky because it's like you have somebody who can be really successful at what they do, but not have any idea on how to run a business. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, then I would tell them to make enough money to hire a manager or somebody who knows how to run the business. I mean, it's like a lot of business owners don't know how to do their own books. So hire a bookkeeper, you know, like figure out those people who can help you in the areas that you're weak. Um, Because yeah, sometimes they don't, they don't go together. Absolutely. And I think, you know, Kelsey and I were talking before we were recording, but you know, building a business versus a job and what that means when you're starting your business. Do you want to touch on that and how you, I know you approached this and you were like, I really just need a job after right. college, right? Yep. But how did you take that mentality of from I need a job to building a business? Because there's kind of a difference in how you view those things. For sure. Um, you know, right away I needed to hire a designer because I knew I didn't know how to design. And I think even from that outset, it was like, okay, 
I need to build this business into what I want. I mean, really, signs could be super, super boring or they could be super fun and an experience for your customer. And so from the get go, it was like, well, how can I help the community? How can I help, you know, the customers coming in? And I think it's just that mental mindset and then empowering your employees and having them know our goal is to service the customers like this even though we might think this design is not that great this is what the customer wants and that's what we're going to provide them and we're going to provide them with a great experience because anyone can order a sign online Mm -hmm. they can all create their terrible logos online for twenty dollars that then they want to blow up into a big sign and it doesn't work that way right so fyi spend the money and have a real graphic designer design your logo please it saves everybody time and money and a headache um but it's just it's all about the experience because anybody can get anything online and it's just creating the environment for your staff um, to make sure that the customers have the experience too. So, Absolutely. And I think working with small business owners and people that are experts in the industry where you can have that one-on-one mm-hmm. conversation with them, they get to learn more about you as a person in your business and they can help adapt um, what you need from them for your specific needs too. for sure because i mean i'm in the marketing world too right and so i understand um you people sometimes are just not aware of what they need and so right. when you come to an expert they can help walk you through what you actually need that you're unaware of yep and how have you trained your staff to kind of you know talk to those clients and customers that are kind of unaware of what they actually need well a lot of it too when i first hire people i'm like just listen to the questions that we ask because in the signage world there is a lot like Mm -hmm. you need to know different like vinyl materials you need to know sign materials like there's a lot you need to know so a lot of it's just like just listen to the questions that i'm asking and you really just kind of walk the customer through because sometimes they don't know what they want Mm -hmm. um so it is kind of an education process on both ends of like trying to meet the need um And then just teaching your staff accordingly. I mean, the good news is most graphic designers know, you know, crappy artwork when they see it or, you know, crappy files. So, Right. But it's also how do you express to that person who doesn't understand that per se? And when do you bite the bullet and be like, all right, this is their choice too? Yep, for sure. So, I mean, we always give them choices when it comes to like design. Um, but then when they give us a crappy logo, it's usually like, okay, you can't take a picture of your business card and hope that I'm going to make this into a sign and it's going to look good. It doesn't work that way. And by crappy logo, you mean like bad quality or not the right format to use. Yes. I mean, going or even going on Canva and creating your very low resolution logo that it might look really cool. But then you want to blow it up and you can't because it's really low quality. So all you see are a bunch of squares when it's blown up and you can't even tell what it is. Um, So it's just educating your customers on that. Absolutely. So how has owning this business impacted how you make other decisions in your life? Well, I mean, it involves everything, right? Like everyone thinks you're a business owner so you can take time off whenever you want. Well, it doesn't really work that way. but it is just trying to like staff accordingly make sure your staff is taken care of um but also being flexible with your staff when they have family stuff come up or if their kids have stuff too um it's just being compassionate and understanding what they have going on in their life and then hopefully they'll understand what you have going on in yours 
Absolutely. So you're 14 years in, as we've mentioned before. What are kind of the big shifts you've seen? Because obviously, you know, startup phase, Mm -hmm. trying to make a profit. You're probably running your business a little bit differently now than you were then. What do you think were those big key moments in your business ownership journey? And how are you operating differently from the beginning years to now? I think one of the biggest was increasing our capacity. So in 2011, um, we got the location where I'm at now, and it was it's five times bigger than where I currently was. Um, so just having the space to expand. Um, and even then, I now have a, well, I've, we've always had a building in the back um, that my husband used to use, but now he doesn't use it. So now we have two places where we can do installs. Um, so luckily it's really just been a space thing that has been able to create a bigger, a bigger shift in my business to be able to offer more stuff. Mm -hmm. So would you say a lot of the changes and additions you added onto you, your business has been from customer demand and kind of customers coming to you wanting more stuff? Or do you think you've introduced? introduce new ideas to customers that eventually led them to wanting new products and services? I think a little both. I mean, the industry is constantly changing, but being able to show our customers how we can change along with the industry, it then gets their their juices flowing of like, okay, how can I push the limits and make this work? Absolutely. Okay. Do you consider yourself a serial entrepreneur? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, not really. I We just... We just invest and do different things, and I think it's just kind of part of being a business owner. Right, because both you and your husband own your own businesses, mm-hmm. so you're a very like entrepreneur-forward family. Yes. So it's just like a, a mindset. What do you think is the biggest thing when you're talking to you know, people that you know that work in businesses and how they you know, operate differently in terms of their career versus you guys? Well, I always like to pick their brains, too, because it's like, what else can you glean from somebody else who is a business owner, you know? Um, So I think even just having other businesses that are like mentors and that you just, I don't know, can pick each other's brains and... Right. I always think like different ideas spark other ones and Mm -hmm. can create collaboration and you just never know how things work together, especially in a smaller community in South Dakota Mm -hmm. and South Dakota in general. Um, so looking back at your your journey, what would you have done differently, especially in the beginning, like I have an idea phase? I definitely would have asked for more working capital. Um, but beyond that, nothing really, because I really do learn from my mistakes. Um, and luckily, the industry wasn't where it's at now when I started either. So it was very... I think it was a good time to get in it because mm-hmm. then we could grow with with the industry. Right. So you're really key, you think, to success is just the timing of starting your business. I think so. And it was in 2009. So we were in a recession. So I mentally was like, if I can make it through this, I can make it through anything. Like if you can start a business and be successful during a recession, mm-hmm. then you, yeah, then you'll be okay. Right, right. All right. What else do I have to ask you, Kelsey? Is there any other like words of wisdom you want to offer to people that want to be entrepreneurs but don't necessarily have a solid business idea yet? I think just I think if you're if you're not sure on your idea yet, continually like reach out to even like other successful business owners 
sometimes friends and family have a skewed perception. So sometimes they're not always the best to go to because sometimes they just tell you what you want to hear instead of like the hard truths. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So just find other business owners because a lot of them don't mind sharing. Um, And yeah, I think just being okay with failure. Awesome. So what are maybe a hard truth you wish you would have heard when you first started your business? Maybe that it was okay to fail. I mean, you know, you have a little bit of, I have a little perfectionist in me. And so it's like, you know, you don't want to fail. You don't want to do anything wrong. You don't want to mess anything up. And we're human creating a product with our hands. It's it's going to happen. Absolutely. And someone, I've heard this phrase a couple of times, like failing forward. And I think that's kind of what you've been talking about is you, you fail, but use it as a learning opportunity to launch, you know, the next level of growth and yep. area of of expertise. Um, so one last question, what do you think is one key memory, um, that you hold, hold, hold close to your heart while you've had quick signs? Well, there's been a few, but a lot of it comes from like my staff and it's been super fun to see, like, even those who leave, who like, I have a few of them who are like stay at home moms and stuff. And it's just so fun to see like people grow in their lives. Um, and even just the memories that you have working together with like the team, mm-hmm. like you'll, you know, see a picture on Facebook that sparks something or even like a certain customer where you had an experience with. And I think it's just being able to see and help people get where they want to go as well. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Kelsey, for yes. coming on our podcast. We enjoyed your conversation. And guys, grab Kelsey if you ever see her because she'll tell you all of the fun nuggets about running a small Welcome to the Mentor Minute. Today I'm here with Katie Gressip with the Workforce Diversity Network of the Black Hills. Thank you, Katie, for coming on. Today we are talking about how do you define your priorities? Oh, thank you for having me, Bailey. Well, I think the biggest thing is you need to figure out which one is critical, which one's important, and which one maybe is something you want to do but not necessarily has to be done uh, and maybe can be put on the back burner. So. Sometimes when it comes to family, um, maybe with your children, that becomes a critical issue. This has to be done. Your attention is needed there more so than at work. That's kind of how I go back and forth with it because it is hard to balance that sometimes, which is the most important. One thing we've done in the office that's helped us quite a bit is we have our, like, our personal goals, we have our organizational goals, and we have our grant goals. And so one of the things we do does this match two of our things and if it matches three of our things that moves to top of the priority so kind of making those guidelines too when you're in a pinch to help decide which where it should be on the right, list exactly you know when it when it's matching everything you need to do and I we were just talking about some of the projects I've done that actually were a little bit out of the box but I felt it was really important to do and sometimes you've got to as far as work, go to bat if you are feeling really strongly like this is something that needs to be done in a way that it needs to be done. And, and again, you know, it, for people outside the realm of what you're thinking, sometimes it's hard for them to wrap their head around what, you, right. uh, what project you want to take on. So, you mm-hmm. know, you, you have to be your own advocate often as well. I think people struggle with the functional or operational priority and the passion priority in those two and trying to decide which 
priority and which piece of you is and that's the balancing act right it is and i'm very passionate about certain <laughs> things that probably gets in my way sometimes when i get so passionate that i'm like determined and then i have to take a step back and go wait a minute you know that's how i'm feeling but how is everybody else right so really taking that time to reflect and right. kind of the moment to think about it well thank you for tuning in katie and that's our mentor minute Welcome to the Marketing Minute. Today I'm here with Kelsey Rosisco with Moxie Marketing of the Midwest. Today we're talking about email. What do we know, need to know about emailing potential clients? I love email. Email is one of my favorite tools because I say this almost every day. Um, you rent social media space and you own email and website tools. And what I mean by that is that when you, you do email marketing, you own that tool it's yours it's your list it's your voice it's your brand and you don't have to be at the mercy of someone else's algorithm which is pretty great so um it's really powerful tool i love it a lot it's been around a lot some people think it's outdated and it's not it's making a huge comeback if anything it's surging yeah that's the main way we get people to sign up for our events is through email blasts absolutely it's super effective and they have great analytics which is not always the case in the marketing world to get analytics that are so helpful mm -hmm. so um i just really have a quick list of tips that help when you're trying to create emails and figure out your email marketing situation. So I'm just going to kind of run through them because I think that they're nice little action tips. Um, keep your email short. Um, segmented shorts, 60 to 200 words, or you'll lose the reader. You know, we're kind of like gnats. We just, we fly off too fast. So you got to keep it short. And if you have multiple things to talk about in an email, just make sure you have it in segments that are bullet and short segments, okay? Um, people love visuals, so have images, graphics, infographics, make sure that that stuff is included in your content. Um, social proof helps convince the readers that you offer a legitimate worth of their time, right? So if you have testimonials, um, Google reviews, those kinds of things, they're always pretty great to put mm -hmm. into, um, your email even better an influencer or somebody else that's talking about your product that you can tout in an email that's even cooler so but testimonials are great um and reviews people want to know where to go next so make sure that every single email that you send out there's some sort of call to action even if it's a purely informational email the call to action should be to ask you more about information right mm -hmm. contact you with questions those kinds of things um Always make sure you have something for them to do after they read the email. Um, and you can have multiple call to actions, I will say. If you have multiple segments, that's fine. Just don't get too carried away with that. Um, when your email marketing works best, it is frequent. So it's okay to adjust your frequency to your audience. You know, some people's audience prefers more frequency in a monthly format weekly format maybe even daily format i think you get too frequent and you start to feel like spam but if you get not frequent enough you don't feel legitimate so mm -hmm. frequency is a, is a good um good thing uh, make sure your emails are mobile friendly most email platforms that you would use to do marketing are going to have that sort of feature in there already built in but it's something that you should be mindful of anyway especially when you're adding graphics and things to things making sure that that translates well mobily because um, a lot of people really do read their email on their phone. Um, 
segment your subscribers. Uh, so not every email should just go to all, right? Um, if you have segments of your subscribers, that'll help you talk to them more personally and more customized, which is the next tip is to be personal and customized, customized in your messaging. Um, because when you're talking to your audience, you want to make sure that you're talking to them appropriately. So if you, for instance, have a product that is going out of stock, um, you don't want to necessarily tell everyone. You might have certain people that, like maybe the loyal buyers of that stock should know first. Right. You know what I mean? And then the rest of everybody can know second kind of thing. Give them VIP exper you know, access to that stock. So you just kind of want to make sure that you have segments so that you can utilize them when needed. Um, sub subject lines are powerful. So be sure to have a call to action. Don't have too many exclamation points in all caps and subject lines or email um, providers will sort of weed you out as spam. So you don't want that, but you do want to utilize your preview text as often as possible. It just kind of gives that little bit of a nugget to see if like, oh, oh I should read that email. And mm -hmm. it works every time. I'm telling you, it works every time it does to me and I know what they're doing. Um, utilize <laughs> analytics. Make sure that you look at those analytics, see what your click and your open rate is. There's lots of different methods and we could dive into that even on another minute of what that might be, but um, utilize your analytics so that you can adjust your content and adjust your frequency and your timing of your emails accordingly. It'll help you just not continue to do the same thing incorrectly. It'll help you to keep becoming relevant to your email subscriber list because the ultimate goal is to keep people on your list. We don't want them to unsubscribe. We want to keep adding people to it because they find a lot of value in it. And even though people's inboxes are inundated with emails every single day, they will continue to subscribe to different email lists because even if they delete half of them half of the time, they still find some sort of value in it. They may not find value in every single email that you send, but they will find value in your email list and um, the global content that you put out and just connecting with you as a brand in particular. So um, very powerful tool, lots of different tricks, and gosh, you could make you, a whole section out of it. You could go on forever about mm -hmm. email lists for sure. Well, thank you, Katsley. That was our Marketing Minute. Welcome to our Money Minute. Today I'm here with Tiffany Even from Legacy Financial Partners of Ameriprise. And today we're talking about behavioral financial advice. So do you kind of want to talk about how people behave when it comes to their money? Yes, I would love to. Thank you. So the, the, the making of decisions is what we're really talking about. And how are we making decisions? So if we look at the 20-year S&P 500 index ending 1231 of 2019, the, the index had a return average per year of 6.06%. During that same time period, the average investor had a return of 4.25 that was investing in the same thing. Okay. There's a difference there of almost 2%. That's a lot. Yeah. So why did that happen? The primary reason was emotional decisions. Instead of buying low and selling high, people buy high and sell low, and they lose money. Right. Coming from a fear base, right? Yes, exactly. Correct. So as in COVID, another mm -hmm. really time where people were scared. Um, they didn't know what was going to happen. None of us did. 
And it was, it was a time, even myself as a financial advisor had to put those emotions in check and say, what am I going to do? So one of the things that we, we also need to think about is how our brain has worked. Why do we do those things? So there are really three parts of our brain that I'm going to talk about. This is like a simplified model. Mm-hmm. And these three parts are our habit center, our emotional center, and our rational center. And each of them are connected to each other, and we use them in conjunction all the time. But the first one to react, and the, the quickest to react, is your habit center. Second to react is your emotional center. And the third one to react um, is your rational center. Now, these are like milliseconds apart, but it's, it still is something that happens. Yeah, it's still a pathway. It's a pathway, exactly. And they're all connected by neurocircuits. So they're sending information back and forth to each other. Um, as an example, if we can think about how these things work together, um, we have um, an opportunity to buy a house. We put an offer in on it. And all of a sudden we get back to work and we have rumors starting to circulate that, oh, we're gonna have layoffs. And you think about, okay, well, I've seen the financial statements lately. I can think that could make sense. There could be layoffs here at my job. And we're thinking, oh, I just put an offer in on that house. Right. (laughs) So as we're thinking about this logically, it's also emotionally stimulating because we're thinking about losing our job and having to probably fork out some money for this new house. So our, be- our brain becomes reflexive. Mm-hmm. And we actually, at that point, uh, because of the reflexiveness, because of the emotions that it's creating, we never actually get to the rational center. And so most generally speaking, uh, it's common that you'll see that if somebody in that situation call the realtor and say, you've got to take, take my offer off mm-hmm. of the table. And what happens three weeks later? They get a promotion, the house falls through, someone else buys it, it's all out the door. All out the door, exactly. That's just the way it goes because we weren't using our rational brain. We were thinking, we gotta make a decision right now. Right, it's the fear, right? It's the fear, right. So what are some helps? Um, We want to, first of all, we wanna set goals based on our values. We wanna come back to what those values are because that helps us to get more to our rational brain. Um, It also is a way for us to remain accountable to our goals. Uh, We wanna remain consistent and disciplined in those things and remaining true to those values. And then we've got, we're gonna come back at a part two, teaser, teaser, that um, talking about these four R's. So this is, there's a process to kind of help us draw back to our values. And the four R's are, we want to recognize, reflect, reframe, and respond. Okay. Well, we can't wait for part two, and that's our Money Minute for today. So tune in to our next podcast for part two. Hey, I think you're pretty outstanding. We all know someone who's just kicking, excelling in their career or crushing it at running their own business. The 11th Annual Outstanding Women in Business Award nominations are now open. Nominate enterprising women who created or contributed to a successful business by demonstrating outstanding skill and commitment. Send in those names from across the state for enterprising women entrepreneur, enterprising women entrepreneur, and enterprising young entrepreneur. Nomination deadline is April 24th. Find the nomination criteria in the show notes or by visiting www.bhsu.edu backslash SDCO. We think you're outstanding.
SDCO West is a nonprofit women's business center funded in part by a co-op agreement with the U.S. Small Business Administration and hosted at Black Hill State University in South Dakota. SDCO West is one of two women's business centers in South Dakota. Find our events and business resources in Western and Central South Dakota by visiting www.bhsu.edu backslash SDCEO. Crushed it.